Hello, this is Seth M. Siegel, and welcome to the Let There Be Water podcast. Our guest is Stuart Resnick, one of America's most successful, if least known, mega entrepreneurs. He's the founder of what has grown into a conglomerate, nearly all of whose companies rely on the ready supply of large amounts of water. Mr. Resnick accidentally got into agriculture while looking for protection against inflation for a small fortune he had made from the sale of a company he had started while still a student at law school in the 1960s. His positive sounding company, the company is called The Wonderful Company, that he runs with his wife, Linda, is now the largest farmer in the United States with more than 200 square miles of California farmland. The company grows more pomegranates, pistachios, and almonds than any other grower in the US. Wonderful is also a leading grower of citrus. The company owns two wineries and owns and markets such well-known brands as Palm Wonderful, Wonderful Almonds, Wonderful Pistachios, and from another side of the water equation, Fiji Water. Water is quite obviously an essential part of Stuart Resnick's wonderful world. Stuart, welcome to the Let There Be Water podcast. Thank you. So um, given the California drought, just how wonderful is wonderful? How are you and your company faring with the drought? Well, it's tough and we're working hard, but um, basically we're okay, uh, you know, assuming there's going to be rain. I think what you have to understand in California, most of the farmers have a dual source of water, groundwater um, and surface water. And generally, where uh, we try to use as much surface water as possible so we don't go into the aquifers and go into the groundwater. The last three or four years, we've been using a disproportionate amount of groundwater, so those aquifer levels are going down and the quality of the water is not as good, so it affects the yields. And uh, But to the extent that our crops are uh, primarily California-based, when the yields go down, as long as ours don't go down any worse than the average, generally the price makes up most of the difference. So economically, we're okay, but uh, it gets harder and harder unless the drought turns around. Now, you mentioned the groundwater. Recently, California began regulating that groundwater, and until, until this recent uh, drought, uh, one of the features of California's groundwater was that it was essentially unregulated. So is the new regulations that you're coming out of Sacramento, is that a welcome change or do you see some problems from state government involvement coming from that? Now that's a welcome change and we're strong advocates of groundwater control because basically what happens is if you have no control, then people can use water without being efficient about its use. And um, you can use, you can um, use up the aquifer quite quickly. And if you have permanent crop, you'll have no way to irrigate it. So our, our view is we'd rather know and keep the, know how much water we have over a long period of time and keep the aquifers in balance. And even if we have to give up some acres, acreage, we'd rather see uh, if we have, you know, a thousand acres uh, over an aquifer, we'd rather be sure that we can farm 700 of it forever than a thousand for 10 years and then be out of water. 
And if tomorrow it started raining, uh, sort of like Noah and his ark, it started raining and raining and raining, how, how long would it take to refill the de largely depleted aquifers of California? I would think it, it varies. Um, certainly, it would take three or four years because the, the aquifers have been receding for, or it may take longer than that. I mean, some of the aquifers have been receding for 50 years. So it's hard to say how quickly any one particular aquifer refills. Some of them may, may fill reasonably quickly if they're around rivers. Others that are in remote areas that have very little recharge, uh, I don't know how you recharge them. And for our, our listeners to understand, an aquifer uh, that is being depleted, it's because of the fact that there's more water being withdrawn than that naturally returns to it, either because a river runs over it or because of rain or because of snowfall. Is that, is that basically correct? That is correct. That is correct. And these aquifers have been, uh, I mean, water has been, been going in for thousands and thousands of years, and it's only recently, and recently being maybe the last, hundred years or 50 years or in some places 20 years that people have been drilling wells and using the groundwater so if it doesn't recharge uh, those levels go way down and the quality of water gets worse uh, uh, we hear two different stories about water in California of course obviously it's a dire time right now but there's a lot of people who are saying that the state is running out of water and others who say that actually that there's plenty of water but that it's misallocated and mismanaged because of archaic um, water, water use rights and water use regulations. How, how do you see the story there? Well, I think it's a balance. Look, every the balance in, in the water area is farming, environment, and cities. And probably the biggest conflict is between farming and the environment. And we believe there are certain things that um, can be regulated to make the use of water more efficient. Um, my argument from an overview is that farmers, the price of water for farmers has gone up dramatically in the last 10 years, probably tripled in cost. So it's the biggest single input for, for probably 90% of the farmers. And as a result, the farmers have tried to be efficient as possible because it's a very big out-of-pocket cost. So generally, and I would say this goes to 90% of the farmers, are use water as efficiently as possible, and they've moved into uh, mini sprinklers or drip irrigation. Uh, however, the environmentalists have had no reason to be efficient because they don't pay for the water. So I think they have to look at uh, prioritizing those things that are important and making sure that the water they're using to gain some benefit, it really gets them that benefit. And I think in some cases that's not correct. I think now there's an openness, I've seen it for the first time this year, of the environments to start saying, hey, look, we have to work together with the farmers and the cities and make sure that we prioritize also and use our water efficiently. And, and when you're speaking of the use of water by environmentalists, just to clarify for our listeners, you're speaking of them having water run in rivers and streams and keeping fish species alive. You're not speaking about environmentalists taking water out for growing crops. Is that right? 
no, no, it's just, it's just for the, right, the streams and also certain times you can't, you can't um, pump water through the delta because it, it, the, the pumps themselves kill a certain amount of fish, but that we think is an area that needs to be looked hard at. I think there's much, much less expensive ways to, li to limit that problem. And that's one of our big issues. You, you, you'd mentioned that there's a growth of use of micro-irrigation and drip irrigation, but still uh, the last study I saw, and it's a few years old now, but the last study I saw from 2010 is that 40% of California irrigation is still flood irrigation. Uh, do, you, do you think that the days of flood irrigation will come to an end soon because of smarter farming and because of water costs? Again, one of the, pro yes, I, I, I believe the answer to that is yes. One of the issues in California is that there are, there are farmers, again, that have, that grow crops that are not efficient um, to grow in California, in my opinion. But you cannot, you, when it comes to water, you only have the right to use the water. You can't transfer the water generally. So that if a particular farmer is growing rice or alfalfa, which is big users of water in a low value crop, but if um, they have water that they could have transferred, but they can't legally transfer it, they're going to use it to grow those crops. And it seems that that's another area that has to be looked at is how can we have some free trans, not free, but transfer of water so that deep, so that therefore water is used for the best and highest use and not used in certain areas, as you say, if, I don't think it's 40% that um, uses flood irrigation, but generally people should not be using flood irrigation. Do you see a day when there'll be a, a water exchange or a, a, a market that will be trading water of different qualities so that farmers around the state can make use of water so that it has an economic value that goes beyond just the crops themselves? I believe so. There, there's some small amount of that. The water law is extremely complicated, but generally I think we're moving towards that because that, uh, you know, look, there's all sorts of issues about transferring water and that has to be overcome. But I think some of these issues that go back, you know, a hundred years are not as applicable as they used to be. It used to be that people were concerned if you took water out of a community, the community would die. So there was issues that that were greater than the economic value of water. But I think now that the economic value of water has become so important that I think there's going to be a new balance in the ability to transfer water. Stuart, I'd like to move this to another area. California farmers have come under a lot of criticism of late. I'd like to address a few of those critiques. A year or two ago, almonds were high on many people's list of the most nutritious sources of protein. Yet somehow, almonds have become the poster child of the greedy California farmer during the drought. I can't remember how many times I've been told in recent weeks that it takes, this is the number it was given to me, a gallon of water to grow an almond. I have a friend who told me that her son called her from camp and asked her to please stop eating almonds as a favor to him. So what are the actual water needs of almond growers and how is that different for other crops or other sources of protein? What's the story behind the story? Almonds are use about the same average amount of water uh, that any tree crop uses. And basically, um, first, it, it's, it's, a, it's a 
general number that people are using, and it may very well be the average is a gallon for a a, a nut. However, um, looking at the other side of it, to produce my understanding is to produce six ounces of beef, it takes 850 gallons of water. And almonds are extremely nutritious, and for the amount of protein grown per gallon of water, it's it's quite efficient. It just takes a lot more water than people think to grow any kind of crop. One of the accusations being made against California farmers is that growing produce for export is like exporting precious and declining water supplies. Yet a lot of what is grown in California, and not just by you, is sold overseas. So is this an intelligent critique or is it protectionism with an environmental cover? Or what is going on with that claim? Look, I think Yes, we do export our food, some of our, our farming, and that uh, creates a great deal of jobs, and it creates a, a big part of, uh, we, we believe that the agricultural community in California, when you look at the whole agriculture, which is, which is based upon the farming, that it represents close to 15% of the California economy. So yes, you could lose a lot of jobs, and you can argue that we shouldn't export food, but we also import food, and we also import um, other manufactured goods that use a lot of water. So I think that's a that's a red herring that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. One of the new frontiers in plant science is trying to develop fruits and vegetables and other products that don't go bad in the ordinary consumers' homes. It turns out that we all lose a lot of water with every apple or lemon that we've bought and which has gone bad. So I know that your company spends a great deal of money on scientific research, uh, academic and in-house. Is your company engaged in any efforts to expand the shelf life of produce? Yes, now we, we focus on the crops that we're in and it's uh, our, our areas of, of uh, the nuts have a long shelf life and those are generally not a problem. Uh, it's soft fruit, and it's in our case, it's citrus and pomegranates. And we work all the time on having a longer shelf life um, because, first of all, we have a longer time to sell it. But again, a lot of progress has been made, and we find it very hard to get any breakthroughs. Now, the facts are that probably 30% of all the food grown is wasted and that's so that's a big area that we can become much more efficient in is as this whole distribution of um, of uh, crop and also particularly of a perishable crop and also that because people buy produce from, by the way it looks oftentimes absolutely fine oranges or grapefruit um, are not are put into a byproduct because they don't look good, but the inside's exactly as good as um, another piece. So I think, again, all these areas, as things get tighter, we're going to have to change some of our habits. You know, I'd like to close by talking a little bit about Fiji water. You bring over lots of water from the South Pacific island of Fiji for the very popular Fiji water brand. Uh, given Fiji's popularity, would you like to see a day when we will all be drinking bottled water? Well, I think most people do drink bottled water, but we can't, I mean, in other words, uh, I think that's up to the individual. Um, we believe it's healthier. 
and it's cleaner and it's better for you. So, uh, and a lot of people feel the same way and Fiji water has done, done quite well. Now we can't, if everybody in the country bought a lot of Fiji water, we wouldn't have enough to sell them. So we need some balance. Stuart, thank you so much. It's been great to have you as a guest on the Let There Be Water podcast. Uh, we hope to speak to you again many times. All right. Thank you. And let there be water. And let there be water. This edition of the Let There Be Water podcast was directed by Jamie Black, produced and edited by Krasimir Galabov, with production assistance by Alexander Lindroth. I'm Seth M. Siegel, and hope you'll join us for the next edition of Let There Be Water.